Hello, all you happy innovators out there. Something I want to talk about today a little bit. Um, as you may or may not know, I have this project that I do called The Interesting Actual. And The Interesting Actual is like spoken poetry over music and it has the video footage and the animation and all that stuff, right? Well, after that last singularity that I did, I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I should talk about that a little bit because I don't really think I ever have. And uh, it's kind of a long story, okay, how I got to the interesting actual. But from what I can tell, I think you guys like stories. So I'm going to tell you the story of the interesting actual from the very beginning, okay? Now, this is a long story, so you're going to kind of have to bear with me a little bit. A long time ago, probably back in, let's say, 2002, okay, my wife and I decided that we didn't want to live in Ohio anymore. We decided that we wanted to move somewhere else and start a new life together. So, we moved to Maryland, Washington, D.C., and I've talked about that a little bit before, but yeah, like if you go back to the clouds episode of Snowflake 33, I talked about when I moved to Maryland. And when I moved to Maryland, um, I decided to start taking some college courses, okay, because I was working in the Adobe Photoshop lab at this college, and the classes were cheaper for me if I was an employee of the college. So... Uh, it kind of worked out pretty good for me, okay? I was able to kind of go back to college and kind of get into that. And it was really great, okay? But what sucked about it was I had to take some prerequisite courses because it had been so long since I had gone to college that they needed to kind of assess uh, what level I was at with certain subjects and things like that, right? So... I had to take like an English class and I had to take a, a mathematics class and they just wanted to kind of see my placement and you know, how, how I would score. And um, the reason I'm even talking about it is because it was kind of a turning point for me, believe it or not. And the reason why was because up until that point, okay, I did not really consider myself to be like a writer, okay? I operated under the assumption, really, or the idea, okay, that the way that I used grammar and the way that I wrote was like the standard. That like that's how everybody was, okay? And I didn't realize that I was wrong, okay, until I took this class. You know, I started to compare my writing to my other classmates. Like, I didn't realize that I actually kind of knew how to write. <laughs> okay? It sounds funny, but like I said, I was just operating under the assumption that, you know, everybody knows punctuation and grammar and, you know, what, what should be capitalized and those kinds of things. I mean, how to structure a sentence and a paragraph and uh, how to write a term paper. I mean, all that stuff. I thought everybody knew that. 
I didn't realize that it's not the case all the time. And uh, it was through this class that what wound up happening was the professor wound up kind of like singling me out, okay? And uh, he was kind of encouraging me. Like my professor was kind of like competing with me as a writer. And he was pushing me to write because I guess he could see that I had like a potential in that department, which totally freaks me out. But what's weird about this, okay, is right around that same time, like my wife was an educator, right? You know that already. Um, She had requested my transcripts from grade school and high school. Like she wanted the file of my educational history in her possession. And so she ordered it from my former school district from when I was a little kid. And, you know, I got all the transcripts from my elementary school and high school career. Okay. And my wife knew how to read those things. Okay. It's not the kind of document that just anybody could look at and get the proper information. You, you have to kind of know how to read a transcript. And she knew how. And what surprised both of us, okay, when she started to go through my transcripts was that my IQ in, like, the use of the English language was, like, really high, okay? And no one ever told me that in school. I mean, I had no idea, okay? This is not bragging, okay? I'm not, I'm not bragging. I was shocked by this, okay? Because I was a special education student, okay? I was, I was on the short bus, you know? And uh, I was horrible at math. You know, just absolutely rock bottom. Like, I struggled with it, which is weird because I'm a drummer and I use rhythm. And rhythm is all mathematics, okay? It's just applied in a different way. Uh, it's not equations, you know, it's, it, but it is factoring and you're, you know, using fractions and your you know, quarter beats, hold notes and all that stuff, uh, okay? But I, I was miserable at it in school and my scores reflected that. But my, my scores with English and the use of the English language were very abnormally high, okay? Not just good, they were really, really good. I won't go too far with that, but they were really high, okay? And some people don't put stock in those numbers and I, I get that, um, but I do, you know, because I don't really have anything else to go by. So... My wife and I were both just kind of taken aback a little bit by this whole thing. Like, all this time, I mean, I went through 12 years of schooling. I did some college, too, and not a single person ever mentioned to me. Ever. They never even implied that I was gifted, okay? But after I found out, it kind of made sense to me, and I'll tell you why. A lot of my brothers and sisters are writers, and some of them, you know, are professional. I mean, they're making a, a very nice living from writing. 
And I just never considered myself a writer. Okay. Like my oldest brother, not a writer. My oldest sister, very much so. Professional writer. Uh, she's the person in my family who's made the most out of her writing talent. Okay. And she's made quite a nice living from it. Um, my second oldest sister, the one who just recently passed away, not so much a writer. Okay. My brother Steve, the one who's right above me, a writer. Me, not so much a writer. My little brother, probably the most gifted writer in my family. Okay. And he's, you know, he should be writing novels. He should be a professional writer. But that's a separate story. He's, he is the most gifted writer in my family. Um, but I wasn't a writer. You know, I wasn't. And until I took this college class and then it occurred to me, you know, and, uh, you know, I could read you some of the comments from my professor on some of my writing. Okay. It's to illustrate to you, uh, exactly what I'm talking about here. I got one right here. Um, and I quote, this is from my professor. This is what he wrote on one of my papers. Okay. And I quote, I wouldn't want to come up against you in a writing competition. I think I would win, but it just might be a close call for the judges. Keep writing. See, that's the kind of stuff that he was writing on my paper. And that was like the first time that I got that kind of confidence from a teacher about my writing. Is it a big deal? Not really, but I guess to me it was. I'd never heard anything like that before. So it was a big deal, I guess, to me. But um, anyway, so this professor that I had in college was really the person who set it off. Okay, like this idea in my head that, hey, wait a minute, I actually have a gift. I should probably be capitalizing on it if I can, you know. Okay, so there's that part of the story, right? Well, you fast forward like maybe about two, th two or three years, okay? And I wound up doing like this thing, and I do this a lot, okay? And it's like, it's like a binge art process, okay? Like, I, I don't know why it comes this way or why I do it this way, all right? But... A lot of the time, I'll have, like, a flood of ideas with a particular thing, okay? It'll, like, turn on like a faucet, and I'll just start going with an idea, and I'll start making a huge volume of this thing that I'm being inspired to do, and then it'll turn off, and all of a sudden, I'll stop. It's kind of like Forrest Gump, you know? Like, he would just, like, run and run and run, and then he just stops, He's done running. Well, that's kind of what it's like. I mean, I just, I'll start going with an idea and, you know, 300 pieces later, you know, I'm done. I have this huge chunk of, like, in this case, drawings. I started to do drawings and they were just coming. Like, the ideas were coming and I didn't really know why. I didn't have anything to use them for, but they just started to come. Like, I was downloading them. You know, 
And when the download finished, I stopped drawing, okay? And I went on to making music or something or doing, doing other stuff I do. But I had this, you know, in my files, I had this really huge amount of these drawings that I had done. And they were cartoonish and they were kind of like, um, I guess like inspired by like Shel Silverstein kind of art. Uh, and there was a show I used to watch when I was younger called Simon and the Land of Chalk Drawings. And I just always loved that cartoon because uh, it was reversed. Like the, instead of being black lines on white paper, it was white lines on black paper. Like I liked that idea that it was reversed. There was something about that that really kind of resonated with me. Okay. Um, anyway, so I made these drawings and they're very similar to that. Okay. They're reversed. Uh, black background, white lines. Okay. Very simple drawings done with a flare pen on a sketch pad. Okay. And they just came in about two months. It took about two months and I just was going and going. And my wife, of course, was like, you know, supporting it. I mean, she was like buying sketchbooks, you know, getting flare pens. I mean, like she was, you know, giving me time to work on this and to do it. And we both didn't really have any idea why I was doing it. But she's smart enough to know and she's been around me long enough to know, like, when the faucet is turned on, you just kind of let it roll, you know. So I have this huge chunk of drawings. Well, you fast forward a little bit later, you know. You fast forward to about 2009, 2010. My wife decides she wants to go to grad school to get her master's degree. Now, that was great, you know, totally supportive, and the money was there and the time and the inclination. So, of course, she's supportive of me. I'd support her, you know. Well, the, the downside to my wife going to grad school was that the school that she was going to attend was in a really bad part of town, okay? And she was going to have to go at night, okay? So I decided that I would go with her, okay? I would walk her to her class. She'd go in for her class. I'd go to the library at the college that she was going to, and I would sit and I would read and I would wait. And then when the time came... I'd meet her at her class and we would go home. And she was safe. We didn't have to worry about it. She was getting her degree. She wasn't in any kind of danger. I was with her. Well, basically, after a while, I kind of started to get bored. (laughs) Okay? Because she was going to be going to school for two years. And this was going to be every week. Two nights a week for two years. And, uh... You know, I was I was kind of bored. Uh, I'll be honest, okay? I didn't mind being there. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I needed to find something to do, okay? So I would go to this library, you know, twice a week. And I would be there for maybe two hours, you know, at, at a time. Sometimes more than that. Two or four hours sometimes, depending on what was going on with her classes. And I started to, because I'm in a library, right? So I started to just look at books. 
I mean, there was a million books to look at, and it was a college library, so it was really great. I mean, the resources and the just everything they had was really cool. Well, they had this huge section of poetry and you know, just the greats, E.E. E. Cummings, uh, Robert Frost, Auden, uh, you know, uh, they had every poet you could think of. Okay. And uh, I started to go through these poetry books. And, you know, I had, I had written lyrics and stuff. And I was, you know, I was familiar with being a creative writer. But when I started to look at these poetry books from these people who were really famous poets. And I was reading them. I'm like, you know, I, I can kind of do something like this. I, I can do this. I can I can write poems. I can do that. I can I can be a creative writer. I can do it. So, I had this laptop that I used for my book business and I was used to kind of carrying it around with me because it was like my work computer, right? So it was pretty much with me all the time. Well, I started taking it with me uh on school nights. So I would I would drop my wife off at her class. She'd go in, and I would head for the library, and I would sit down. Now, it was late at night, and I'm in a college library, and there really wasn't anybody there. Okay, so it was quiet. I was alone. I could concentrate. And I just started to write, okay? I just started... I mean, it was just coming out of me. Like, the faucet was turned on, like... It just came out of me. It was constant. And I had all the time in the world to like get really good at it. And some were good and some were bad. And I could pick out the good ones and the bad ones, right? I mean, it was like I just I started to do it twice a week for like two or four hours a night. Well, fast forward again, okay? Two years later, my wife is graduating with her degree. No more library for me. No more writing or anything. So the faucet was like turned off. Okay. Really quick. One day. Bam. It's gone. No more writing. Done. So I'm looking at this huge pile of poems that I have. And I had, wow, 500. I mean, it was just like this astronomical number of poems you know, some were long and some were short. Most of them were short. But, um, you know, less is more, you know. But uh, I had this huge pile, okay? So fast forward another year, okay? You know, all this time, this whole year, I'm looking at this thing of poems. I'm like, what is this for? Like, how, how can I use this? I can't make it into a song, you know, I mean, I suppose I could, but they're not songs, they're poems, and there's a difference to me, they're different, okay? Uh, So I had no practical application for all these poems I made, and, you know, I would remember them and stuff, and kind of every once in a while, like, flip through them and read them, and some of them were pretty good. That's how you know something is good, is when... Uh, you walk away from it for a while and then you come back to it later 
and you look at it with fresh eyes, you know, or with music, it's like you hear it with fresh ears. Like you, you step away from it for a long time and then you come back to it and, and you start to sift through it. And what still resonates with you is good and you should use it and you should somehow, you know, keep it. And some of it was not so good. Okay. Not a problem. So maybe 25% were fantastic. Uh, you know, 50% were pretty good, you know, pretty good. And then the other 25% sucked. I mean, they were like stupid and horrible. Okay. But that's a pretty good chunk of good work to work, to deal with, you know? So I'm sitting on it for like a year. Now, in 2011, my my mother and father celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, okay? And it was a big deal in my family, okay? And my wife and I were planning on making the trip back to Ohio for their anniversary party. It was a big deal. It was, you know, professionally catered and all that stuff. And, I mean, it was a big deal. And that night, or that weekend, that we were supposed to go make that trip, a blizzard came through. And it was really, really bad. Okay, like, the roads were closed. So we weren't going back to Ohio for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And I was heartsick. I mean, I just was so disappointed and so angry and sad that I couldn't be there. I wanted to be there, you know, and it just was like two days of like grieving and anger, you know, over this, this not being able to visit my parents for their anniversary. And I start kind of like just on my computer, I'm start playing around with those pictures that I drew and that poetry that I wrote. And I'm like, I wonder if there's a way to like combine these and put them together somehow, you know? So I'm like to kind of like distract me from this anger that I was feeling. So it started to look pretty cool. Like I, I started to see the connection, you know, you take this, this picture with this poem, you put them together and it's like, wow. Okay. It, they work together, but they also work separately. You know, they work together, you know. So my wife, being the angel that she is, OK, she takes these files that I've made of the of the artwork with the text of those poems that I wrote and she makes an iBook out of it. OK. And she kind of did it to make me feel better. Like she was trying to make up for, you know, my feeling so bad about not making it back to Cleveland for the anniversary party. But even though I had been sitting on those drawings for a really long time, and I had been sitting on those poems for a really long time, and it was just on this weekend where I decided to mash them together it wasn't until I saw them in the iBook form, like an actual book, where my wife and I were just both blown away. Like, it looks like a real book, you know? Like, we were freaking out. Like, whoa, this actually looks good. This is good, you know? Uh, 
And we were both just stunned. I mean, it was not planned. It was just kind of like, you know, it's kind of an accident, really. But the cool thing was, is that, you know, not only did I have enough material to publish one book, I had a, I had enough material to publish like four or five books, okay? And I subsequently wound up releasing three different books called Earth to Earth, the poetry of Michael Bostwick, you know? And I have two other books that have not been released. Okay, so there's that part of the story. Now, I have this, these books that exist of drawings and poetry, okay? Now, I had been, up until that point, I had been always kind of like trying to figure out what to do with the poems. And I had this one idea, okay? And I was going to call it videomes, like video poems, okay? Uh, where I would read the poem. And that would be the video, okay? But at the time, having a video that would last for, you know, two seconds was, like, stupid. Like, it, like there, it wouldn't work, you know? It would be over before it began, because a lot of my poems are really short. But I, I had the idea, okay? I had the idea of doing a spoken poetry thing on a video, but it just would be too short. It wouldn't work. So I shelved that idea, but I, I always kind of kept it in the back of my mind. All right? And um, it was right at that exact same time, okay, that I started to mess around with animation. Okay? So this is back in, like, you know, 2010, 2011... Uh, that's when I made that animation that's at the beginning of the interesting actual. That animation was made a long time ago, and I had it. I didn't know what I was going to use it for. I had no practical application for it, but I had it. I had done it, and it was good. Okay? It's also when I did the interesting actual video. They were all done at, like, the same time. Okay? When I was messing around with animation. Well, okay, now you fast forward to 2016, okay? And I start doing Snowflake 33, and I'm talking, right? For the first time, I'm actually talking into a microphone, and I'm doing, like, a podcast. I'm just doing talking. I'm not making music. I'm just talking. And, uh, you know, I do make music, so I had the idea, you know, of grabbing one of my tracks for Creative Commons, you know, and, you know, one of, one of my Honest Wave tracks, the long ones, and I would put that underneath my voice and that would make my talking different than everyone else's because I'd, I would have music under my voice and it would be chilled out, peaceful music and I could talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. Well, having that combination, okay, of my voice with the music for Snowflake 33... That gave me the idea, okay, what if I do a short video? Because right when I started to do Snowflake 33, I started to investigate, you know, what kind of stuff you should have on your YouTube channel. Like, what, what does YouTube want? What, what, what is successful? What works? Okay? And, and one of the things that one of the sources I was researching was saying was... YouTube wants long videos. Okay, got that. 
got like 20 minute songs, you know, three hour songs, man, all set in the long video department. And then another source said, well, they like short videos too, really quick, short videos. I'm like, well, that is exactly what my poems are. They're very short. So I took that animation from back in the day, 2010. Uh, I grabbed the poem, those books that I wrote, and I decided that for the interesting actual, oh, this is a long story. I decided for the interesting actual that what I would do at first is only read poems from my books. I wouldn't write any new poetry, okay? So every single poem that I've read from the interesting actual is one, it was from one of the three poetry books that I published. Every single poem, okay? Two, every poem was written back in 2009 or 2010. So it was really kind of freaky when I started to go through the books and select poems to read for the interesting actual, um, how some of what I wrote was not relevant at the time I wrote it, but when I applied it to the year 2017, all of a sudden it was relevant. And an example that I'll cite for you really quick is the one where I say, uh, in the end, greed trumps almost but never everything. Okay? I wrote that back in 2010. I didn't realize that in 2017 that it was going to resonate the way that it does today. I mean, it kind of is a little bit freaky. I mean, think about it. Who who had any idea that Donald Trump was going to be president now? I didn't. But, you know, flipping through my books, there it is. You know, 2011, when the book was published, or whatever, you know, like long before anybody had a notion of Donald Trump being president, you know, kind of freaky. I mean, it's weird. I have to say it. That kind of stuff is weird. So that's what the interesting actual is. Okay, it's me just reciting these poems from these books that I wrote a long time ago, kind of like repurposing these books. Okay, but what's kind of cool about it is, like, since I've been revisiting these poems, I'm not reading them in succession, like in the order they are in, in the books. I'm just kind of going through and like, which one do I feel like using today? Oh, I'll take this one. So I've rearranged them all into a different order when I speak them in my interesting actuals. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, it's, I mean, it's like I said, a long story, okay? But it's really kind of, I guess it kind of demonstrates the process, you know? Like, uh, the faucet turns on, the faucet turns off. Like, back in 2007, the drawings came. Back in 2009, 2010, the faucet turns back on, I get all the poems. Then the faucet turns off. And then, from this one event... Where you know, I'm really, I'm kind of heartbroken. I mean, still am about it. It really just one of those things that sticks in my craw, you know, that I wasn't able to be there for my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. 
just chaps my ass, you know. Um, uh, out of that came this iBook that my wife made for me, and that led to us publishing the books as books, okay? Um, and that's the process. And then, of course, like I said, I had this idea for videos, video poems, right? And the interesting actual becomes that idea, okay? Actually comes into fruition 10 years later. The idea is delivered to the public. And it's, I mean, it started way back then, right? Now, uh, the, the name, the interesting actual, the actual name, <laughs> the actual name, the actual name of the interesting actual has a cool story too, actually. Um, and what's funny about it is, is like I got the name, the interesting actual from a computer. Yeah, you know, from a computer. You know how they have those, I, I'm not sure if YouTube still has it. They, they probably do on certain videos, but they had this, this uh, feature where they would dictate like in writing what the videos were saying and it was like it was amazing actually because it was never it was never what they were saying on the screen okay it was, it was never the correct dialogue of like what they were saying in the video it was always some you know messed up crazy like interpretation of what was being said and it was fascinating the word combinations that this feature would come up with like when it would dictate the video like just these crazy combinations of words and it was like more interesting to me than the video or you know what I would the content it was like fascinating and I would write down some of the things that this this feature would spit out you know do you follow me? I hope you do. It's a little complicated, but you may or may not remember that feature, but um, I've since like tried to find it, and I, I'm pretty sure that either YouTube uh, discontinued it or it's like it's only on certain videos, okay? But if you have the opportunity to do that, I suggest it because it's really funny. Some of the combinations of words that, that this dictation feature spits out. And well, that's where the interesting actual came from. You know, I'm sitting there watching the video, watching the dictation spitting out underneath the video, and I'm writing as fast as I can. You know, like, oh, awesome, awesome words. I mean, I've gotten so many like uh, song titles and you know, just I, just creative writing ideas from this robot that was spitting out the wrong text. You know, what it was interpreting. It was hilarious, and uh, and that's where the interesting actual came from. It was just one of those word combinations that this computer spit out, and I was like, "Oh, that is such a great name! Like, what a great song title!" You know, the interesting actual. Like, what two words mashed together that are just crazy? You know, they don't—they technically don't make sense, but it, it's like poetry. You know. Because you can derive a meaning from those two words. The word interesting, you can derive a meaning from that. And actual, you can derive a meaning from that. And when you put those two words together, it's interesting, actually. Isn't it? So, there you go. There's the story of the interesting actual. A long, drawn-out, you know, I'm sure, boring story. But it does 
give you an idea of the process, at least on my end, how it usually goes, you know? It's not quite the same with music all the time. I mean, it comes, music comes in a different way, but you know, uh, when it comes to writing, like I can't sit down right now and write you great things. I just can't, it's not, the faucet is not turned on. There would have to be certain elements in place. I'm pretty sure of that now because that situation with my wife at college when I sat down to write, it was so isolated and quiet and uh, just conducive to the work. I wasn't going to be interrupted and you know, I, I couldn't do anything else. That was all I could do. And it was like uh, magical, you know, like a, a very limited circumstance, really. I'm sitting there in a the library by myself for two hours, twiddling my thumbs, you know, forced to come up with something to do. And that's what I did, you know, and it would not have come any other way. Like I said, I can't sit down right now and just crank out a bunch of great things. I mean, I might be able to come up with something good, but... Uh, probably not. Probably not. So, um, there you go. little explanation of the interesting actual. Sorry it took me so long. Uh, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy. <laughs>